We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on Local Now, Channel 525. I'm Seth Leibson, in today on the Town Hall Review, brought to you in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. Mike Johnson of Louisiana, the new Speaker of the House. This Speaker's office is going to be known for decentralizing the power here. Dennis Prager responds to elite media's early and predictable criticism. New House Speaker champions fossil fuels and dismisses climate concerns. Texan Congressman Chip Roy looks at priority one for the new Speaker. We need to fund Israel, uh, but we need to pay for it. The brutal and barbaric attack from Hamas has awakened us to our own threat. FBI Director Ray. The ongoing war in the Middle East has raised the threat of an attack against Americans in the United States. We'll hear from a former FBI special agent. We do have a serious issue here in the United States with these elevated terrorism risk threats. And Senator Tom Cotton. Gaza is armed to the teeth and they've been laying in wait now for 17 years for a moment like this. All this and more. I'm Seth Liebson, coming to you from Phoenix and AM 960 The Patriot, where I host a program in the afternoon, Monday through Friday. Learn more and listen to my program at 960thepatriot.com. And take a moment to follow me on X at Seth Liebson. That's Seth, L-E-I-B-S-O-H-N. And follow this program as well, at Town Hall Review. We'll begin right here at home and the House of Representatives. It was last week, Wednesday, when the GOP landed on a new Speaker of the House. It had been over three weeks. The new speaker, Mike Johnson of Louisiana, the nation's 56th Speaker of the House. In his farewell address, President uh, Reagan uh, explained the secret of his rapport with people. And, And I like to paraphrase his explanation all the time. He said, you know, they call me the great communicator, but I really wasn't that. He said, I was just communicating great things. And they're the same great things that they've guided our nation since its founding. What are those great things? I call them the seven core principles of American conservatism, but let me concede to you all, I think it's really quintessentially the core principles of our nation. I boil them down to individual freedom, limited government, the rule of law, peace through strength, fiscal responsibility, free markets, and human dignity. Those those are the foundations that made us the extraordinary nation that we are. And you and I today are the stewards of those principles. The things that have made us the freest, most powerful, most successful nation in the history of the world. The things that have made us truly exceptional. In this time of great crisis, it is our duty to work together, as previous generations of great leaders have, to face these great challenges and solve these great problems. I will conclude with this. The job of the Speaker of the House is to serve the whole body, and I will. But I've made a commitment to my colleagues here that this Speaker's office is going to be known for decentralizing the power here. With a narrow majority and a divided caucus, he'll have his work cut out for him. But if the early criticism for elite media is any indicator, Speaker Johnson has started well. Here's Dennis Prager. Yeah, so what's what's bad about that? The left hates that. Here are our principles. All we need to do is live by them, and we'll have 
a reign of peace in America. But they hate it. This is the way the New York Times attacks him. New House Speaker champions fossil fuels and dismisses climate concerns. That's the headline. By the way, that, uh, that alone means that he actually thinks and is not a left-wing robot. Or in this case, even a liberal robot. The robotic response is, take a vaccine. Of course, why? Why would you take it? Because the CDC said so. Why would you do X, Y, or Z uh, with regard and have society spend trillions of dollars completely wasted on batteries and the like and funding China, which is the maker of so many of these car batteries? For the same reason you believed in the COVID vaccine. You were told so. Ah, science says I follow science. That's what they believe. So all the scientists who say, you know what, there's no reason to panic over global warming. We may be getting warmer, but there's no reason to panic and change the entire economy of the world and crush people's livelihoods and make the dollar worthless or moving in the direction of it. No, no, no. I am a liberal or a leftist, and I believe my government. That's it. I believe my government. That is the motto of people on the left. That's what the New York Times and the others are about. Fundamentally, we're five days away from fundamentally transforming our country. That's what Barack Obama said before he was elected. It's a fascinating thing. The left admits they want to fundamentally transform something that is fundamentally good. Isn't the fundamental transformation of something fundamentally good bad? It's like two minuses equals a plus. Representative Mike Johnson comes from Louisiana oil country and has said he does not believe burning fossil fuels is changing the climate. I'd like to see the actual quote. So rarely. I'm, I'm, that's what they do to me all the time. Dennis Prager says, but they never give a source. It's a fascinating thing. Almost never. Representative Mike Johnson of Louisiana, the newly elected House Speaker, has questioned climate science. No. If anything, he has questioned climate scientists. In the New York Times, if you question the vaccine, or any vaccine, you are, what is the word they use? Questioning science. You can't question science. Oh, my God. The thought of questioning science. Opposed clean energy. The language is opposing clean energy. That's right. Carbon dioxide is dirty and received more campaign contributions from oil and gas companies than from any other industry last year. Even as other Republican lawmakers increasingly accept the overwhelming scientific consensus that human activity is dangerously heaving the planet. The unanimous election of Mr. Johnson on Wednesday suggests that his views may not be out of step with the rest of his party. Well, it's one reason to vote Republican. Indeed, surveys show that climate science has been politicized in the United States to an extent not experienced in most other countries. Mm -hmm. Because we have a vibrant conservative movement in America. Speaker Johnson comes to the post with a full plate of crises to address. War in Israel, a border crisis, budget crisis, a drug crisis, and I could go on. Texas Congressman Chip Roy was a guest of Charlie Kirk. 
I like our new speaker. What do you think, Chip Roy? Look, Mike Johnson is a, a good friend. He's a good man. He's a believer. Uh, he is someone, obviously, he's a father of five. He's uh, a beautiful wife. He grew up, or he represents the area my mom grew up in, northwest Louisiana. But here's the thing. Mike is already demonstrating willingness to listen. We've been having serious conversations over the last week. He's only He's been speaker less than a week. And it's been after a year of some turmoil. And what you're seeing unfold in front of us right now in full display for the American to see is the debate that needs to be had. Uh, the American people are tired of the status quo. They're tired of the same old thing. And if you keep putting in place the same thing, you're going to get the same results. And Mike represents a departure from that. It was telling last week that there were senators that were somewhat mockingly in their Republican lunch saying, wait, who is this guy? And that's not necessarily a bad thing. Mike is a strong, convicted man. He's liked across the conference. Now the question is, can we get busy getting the stuff done that we need to get done? We need to fund Israel, but we need to pay for it. We need to separate it from Ukraine. We need to get busy figuring out how to get our appropriations bills done. And we need to secure the border of the United States. So, so Chip, walk us through what I consider the biggest issue is the CR omnibus stuff, the continuing resolution, and then the omnibus kind of muscle memory. We have to break the fever, 12 separate spending bills. So fill us into some of the inside baseball here of what we're thinking, scheduling, and are we going to have another CR? Yeah, well, if you rewind back to January, and you remember that a lot of the discussion going on then about Speaker McCarthy or not, and fundamentally what at least I was trying to do was change the institution. And you're alluding to one important part of that. In my lifetime, I'm 51 years old, we've only passed 12 appropriations bills, uh, the total number of bills that we're supposed to do to do our job four times, four times. And so the fact is, is that we have to do our job better. Now, to your point about being here, I never thought we should have left over August. I think that was a failure by former Speaker McCarthy. I didn't think we should leave at any point. Any of these weekends when we were debating the speaker, I thought we should stay in town. Um, I think we should stay in town now to get our job done. To be clear, there was about a 40-day stretch. I only saw my family about five days. You know why? Because I stayed in Washington. I thought we needed to keep working. And frankly, as a result, we've been moving the ball down the field. Now we have five appropriations bills passed. We have two or three that are waiting on deck. They are not where I want them to be, but they cut spending, at least the 1% that the debt deal sought to cut. I thought we should go further. And they massively change the priorities to the priorities we think represent the American people. So now the question will be, when we run out of daylight in about two weeks, what do we do? Because I don't think we can push all 12 across the goal line by November 17th. We might. It'll be close because the amendment process. Even if we do, the Senate won't approve them by November 17th. So the question is, what do we do? In my opinion, we've got to stay the course to make sure we cut spending. I do not want some long-term CR that punts. Uh, maybe you have a short-term several-week CR. Maybe Mike's right. Maybe you kick it into January. But my big thing is we need to stay in town and get our job done, send the appropriations bills to the Senate, and force the Senate to the table. What I don't want to do is tee up a big omnibus bill before December like they did last year. And, re and remember, a CR is nothing more than continuing that disastrous omnibus bill that they yeah, did last year. And it's December. supposed to be used for emergencies. And, I, and, I, and Chip, if we had a Republican majority that thought the way you did, this wouldn't be a problem. You got these moderates that drive me crazy. But I think you can understand my – from pattern recognition of doing this for a decade, and you know this, Chip, the closer you get to an election, especially over that New Year's, the, the courage goes down, right? So it's kind of this, this graph, right? 
So my argument to you and Speaker Johnson is no way should you guys go to January because you're going to have even less courage from these members. The argument should be, guys, do the tough stuff. Maybe you shut it down. Maybe you get 10 out of 12. And then you, you get this done by December 25th, 26th, 27th. People will forget about it by early January if there were some tough decisions to be made. Do we really think that you know, weak-kneed Republican members are going to find a spine in January of an election year? Yeah, Charlie. I mean, look, you and I are on completely the same page here, and I think we're saying roughly the same thing. All I'm suggesting is, look, I'm not going to support a a so-called clean CR, okay? I'm not going to fund a CR at Nancy Pelosi levels that funds the United Nations that just crapped all over Israel, that funds a Department of Homeland Security not to secure the homeland, that funds all manners of sins, including the World Health Organization, that undermined our health freedom through all the COVID pandemic. I could go on and on. Why would we fund that? What we should not do is continue to kick the can down the road and do a continuing resolution of the same garbage the American people are tired of. So I think we're saying the same thing while we try to move the appropriation bills forward. Coming up, FBI Director Ray. We also cannot and do not discount the possibility that Hamas or another foreign terrorist organization may exploit the current conflict to conduct attacks here on our own soil. In the next segment of Town Hall Review, Stay with us. As the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy celebrates our 25th anniversary year, please watch our new promotional video based on Ronald Reagan's 1976 radio address, Shaping the World for 100 Years to Come, on our Pepperdine SPP YouTube channel. And if you know someone who's thinking about graduate school this fall, we welcome applications at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. That's publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. Welcome back to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt. I'm Seth Liebson, in this week for Hugh. Prior to October 7th, I think it's safe to say, neither Israel and its national security apparatus nor the U.S. was adequately attuned to imminence of threat from radical Islamic terrorism. Those of us on the right have been trying to sound the alarm of the risk we have right here on our own southern border, a risk borne out of the Biden administration's virtual open border policy. FBI Director Ray speaking before the Senate Homeland Security Committee this week. We also cannot and do not discount the possibility that Hamas or another foreign terrorist organization may exploit the current conflict to conduct attacks here on our own soil. The reality is that the terrorism threat has been elevated throughout 2023, but the ongoing war in the Middle East has raised the threat of an attack against Americans in the United States to a whole nother level. We assess that the actions of Hamas and its allies will serve as an inspiration, the likes of which we haven't seen since ISIS launched its so-called caliphate several years ago. Nicole Parker served as a special agent with the FBI from 2010 through October 2022. She was a guest of Joe Piscopo's, my colleague on AM 970, The Answer, in New York City. I mean, Nicole Parker, we knew about this. Hopefully this guy, Chris Ray, is not behind the eight ball like he seemed to be. Give us your overview on that, if you would, please. Yeah, I mean, I watched his testimony before the, the Senate, and we do have a serious issue here in the United States with these elevated terrorism risk threats yeah. um, since the Hamas attacked Israel on October 7th. And 
I agree with you. I, I hope we're not behind the eight ball either, but I do believe that the FBI is shifting resources over to what is definitely the number one threat facing our country right now. Um, you know, we, we were always looking at foreign terrorism organizations shortly after 9-11. I think that's pretty well known. And then in recent years, I think a lot of the focus was shifting more towards the domestic terrorists, you know, more the January 6th breachers. And I think in light of what's occurred, I, I believe that the FBI is shifting resources quickly over to the threats that are coming in. I mean, there are multiple tips coming in on a daily basis. These anti-Semitic threats are, are very dangerous. And I know yeah. that just, um, I believe it was yesterday or this week, a, a Cornell University student was arrested by the FBI for making, yeah. you know, posting very threatening statements and, you know, talking about stabbing people and slitting the throats of, of Jews. And it's just absolutely despicable and horrendous. And I am glad that the FBI is having no tolerance for that type of which um, violence is never okay. There's a very fine line between free speech, hate speech, and violence. And FBI needs to go full throttle on those that are, you know, threatening violence to anybody. And I think it's important, again, that you're looking at the multiple dimensions, Joe. Like, you've got a possible kinetic or cyber attack on U.S. soil, like we saw on September 11th of 2001, by a foreign terrorist organization group. You also have to look at the lone offenders, Um, Those that might be here in the United States that are being inspired by this and that are planning to carry out their own attack, their own individual attack. They may not be directly linked to a larger organization, terror organization, but they're using this as a moment to exploit and to, you know, create havoc. And then you've got those that have, you know, for instance, crossed the border that we don't even know about, that we could have many people in our country that we're not even aware of that could have crossed through our southern border. So there's multiple levels that you have to be aware of. Then you've got, you know, what's going on on college campuses and those types of threats and, and students in these university programs that no longer feel safe because they feel like they're threatened. So there's a lot going on. And I think the important part is to always be vigilant and always mm-hmm. be aware. Um, I'm one that believes don't live in fear. Don't let evil win. Don't yeah. don't live in yeah. fear. But also yeah. be aware and be responsible and When you see something, say something. Do report it to law enforcement immediately. While we start to wake up to our own vulnerabilities, Israel is now midway through the third week of war. Arkansas Senator Tom Cotton joined Hugh Hewitt. I want to begin by asking you about urban warfare and how long you expect this to take. You have actually walked point on a platoon in Baghdad during the surge, so you have a little idea of what the Israeli Defense Forces are up against when they go into Gaza City proper. They're not there yet. How long do you expect their operation to destroy Hamas to take? As long as it takes, Hugh. Um, I, I suspect that uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu and his war cabinet, Yoav Gallant, the defense minister, and Benny Gantz, the leader of the opposition, like all Israelis, uh, would borrow a line from uh, U.S. Grant in the summer of 1864. They plan to fight it out on this line all summer long, if that's what it takes. Um, and I expect they plan to fight it out in Gaza for as long as it takes to destroy Hamas, not just as a military uh, or terrorist organization, but as a governing entity and a social movement. And uh, what they face in, in Gaza is much more complex, Hugh, than uh, what we faced in Baghdad, certainly what we faced by 2006 when I was there, uh, and it had been largely pacified, and you're facing an insurgency. Uh, Gaza is armed to the teeth. Um, you know, they've been laying in wait 
now for 17 years for a moment like this uh, with one big variable that Baghdad didn't have, which is the hundreds of kilometers of tunnels underneath Gaza. So it's going to be deliberate uh, and it's going to take some time, uh, but uh, we have to back Israel to the hilt uh, as they fight uh, this war to uh, finally destroy Hamas once and for all. Senator, I want to turn now to the domestic front. Uh, our alma mater has disgraced itself in the three weeks since the massacre of 10-7, but many colleges and universities have. Most recently, Cornell, where it became, where the Cornell police said to Jewish students, don't go to the kosher dining hall, we can't keep you safe. Have you seen the Office of Civil Rights at the Department of Education or the Division of Civil Rights at the Department of Justice announce the opening of even one investigation in these three weeks? No, Hugh, I, I haven't. To my knowledge, they have not. Maybe it's, it's possible, but you know what we certainly haven't seen? We ha- certainly haven't seen a self-congratulatory press conference by Merrick Garland and, and other left-wing ideologues in the Department of Justice or the Department of Education announcing that they will investigate and hold account- accountable these vicious anti-Semites the way we did, for instance, when they announced investigations into Governor Brian Kemp of Georgia and his legislature for taking such terrible actions as expanding the number of drop boxes that a county could have during uh, early voting. So if, if this was a priority for the Biden administration, they would be out having press conferences and dislocating their shoulder by patting themselves on the back so hard. What that tells you is that it's not a priority. And why is it not a priority? Because a substantial uh, minority of the Democratic voting base is openly anti-Semitic. Look at all of these pro-Hamas anti-Semites who are marching on campuses at places like Harvard and Columbia and Cornell who are terrifying Jewish students, forcing them to hide in libraries or elsewhere. Who do you think those people are the shock troops for? Those are the people who are out marching in the streets during the BLM riots in 2020. Those are the people that Democrats are counting on to mobilize the vote in many communities uh, across their voting coalition. That's why Joe Biden is already waffling and wavering in part, because he's terrified at the polls that show his collapse in approval rating among Democrats, not among independents and Republicans, but among Democrats. So, no, there is, to my knowledge, not a single investigation going on. And even if there is an investigation at the Department of Justice and the Department of Education into this outbreak of anti-Semitism. They're certainly not celebrating it. They're not trumpeting it. They're not highlighting it at press conferences the way they do investigations into Republicans. Coming up from the founder of BLM. If we don't step up uh, boldly and courageously to end the the imperialist project that's called Israel, um, we're doomed. When the Town Hall Review returns in a moment, stay with us. Hi, it's Mike Gallagher. I start every day by reading through the stories at Daybreak Insider. In just 10 minutes, I can zip through 10 stories that help me start my day and help shape where I go with The Mike Gallagher Show. Over a quarter million people get Daybreak Insider by email daily, and it's available to you at no cost. Go to daybreakinsider.com and simply plug in your email. That's daybreakinsider.com. In five minutes, you will be the most informed person in the office. That's daybreakinsider.com. Welcome back to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt, brought to you in partnership with our sponsor, the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. I hope you tuned in to what Senator Tom Cotton said just before our break. A substantial percentage of the Democratic voting base is anti-Semitic. 
Looking back over our shoulder a bit at the BLM protests that left so many urban areas in flames, the picture of what we're looking at today is becoming clearer. Rabbi Yaakov Menken of the Coalition for Jewish Values joined Sebastian Gorka. Listen to what Patrice Coulos says about Israel. The other thing I'll say is Palestine is our generation in South Africa. And if... If... If we don't step up uh, boldly and courageously to end the, the imperialist project that's called Israel, um, we're doomed. Wow. I thought it was about equity for minorities. I guess Jews aren't included. Listen to what she said there. She said, if we don't stop Israel, we are doomed. She didn't say that about Iran. She didn't say that about North Korea. She didn't say it about Cuba. She didn't say it about Russia. She said it about Israel. It's kind of amazing when you think about it, but the anti-Semites of the world are that threatened by Jews being allowed to exist. So it's very clear that she was, uh, she's not just a Marxist, she's an anti-Semite. Well, come on, there are, there are eight, there are nine million Jews in Israel. I mean, I mean it's, it's huge. It's surrounded by only, what is it, 280 million Arabs that a lot of them want to have them pushed into the sea. We will be remembering Kristallnacht in 1938. That is the beginning of the Holocaust when, you know, Jews were targeted by the Nazi party and it became okay to target Jews. But that's Germany. Yes, it led to the Holocaust, but it was at that time... It was delimited to the territory of the Third Reich. We're seeing people outside the Sydney Opera House screaming, you know, gas the Jews. We had people walking on the streets of New York with massive banners right after the attacks in Israel that said, globalize the Intifada. I, I don't want to be a chicken little, but, but Rabbi Menken is it possible that the anti-Semitism of 2023 is even more dangerous because it is far more globalized? I don't think you're being alarmist, but I do think there was a lot of sympathy for the Nazis back in the 1930s, even in America. The universities that today are allowing these horrific anti-Semitic uh, marches across campus were the same places that were welcoming Nazis to speak, even as late as 1935. Yeah. So this is not, uh, this is actually not without precedent. In fact, one of the biggest mistakes the Jewish left ever made was that they said, oh, the Holocaust was an aberration. The Holocaust was a one-time thing. No, no, not at all. When I say that these people are actual Nazis, this isn't an exaggeration. This is not one of those comparison of detention facilities at the southern border to death camps like AOC. This is the real deal. We have anti-Semites goose-stepping their way through Congress. We have Nazis, at, like you said, in Australia. We have them on university campuses. And yeah, we've got them aplenty in the Arab world today, sadly. One of the strangest moments for me in the first few days of the White House was my, my friend Boris uh, Epstein, who's a practicing Jew. Uh, he just grabbed me in the corridor one day and he said, come over here, come over here, come over to the Indian Treaty Room. And like, why, why do I need to go to the Indian Treaty Room? And the room was full of Orthodox Jews, rabbis, that were there as part of the Jewish outreach of the Trump administration. And it was the funniest thing because I quietly crept into the meeting and... 
Boris was trying to talk to them, and then suddenly a half of the room stood up and saw me and came to me because they listened to me on John Batchelor's show back then, and I guess I have this orthodox following in New York. Rabbi, 92% of orthodox Jews vote for President Trump. They understand his love of Israel and his love of our shared Judeo-Christian civilization. Do you have a message for your secular Jewish-American colleagues? Can you talk to them about, it's time to wake up, please? I think that what happened October 7th is a huge wake-up call. If anybody has any attachment to Jewish values or the importance of Jewish peoplehood and and our own self-defense and recognizing the dangers we face. Actually, I don't know, Dr. Gorg, if you recall, the first time we met is when our organization was very young. And we got to have a meeting with you in the Eisenhower building of the White House to talk about the dangers, and, and people were busy calling you an anti-Semite. It was just <laughs> catastrophically wrong. Yeah. It was just, oh my goodness, here was a guy who was the expert on terrorism and its impact on the Jewish community and the importance of Jewish self-protection. Uh, you know, if, if those people didn't wake up now after October 7th, nothing will wake them up. But I certainly hope that those people are now coming around to realize, you know, we have real friends and unfortunately we have real enemies. Coming up, moral clarity. For anyone to step out in support of the Palestinian movement in the wake of the atrocities of these last couple weeks is utterly outrageous. Pete Peterson, when the Town Hall Review returns in a moment. As the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy celebrates our 25th anniversary year, please watch our new promotional video based on Ronald Reagan's 1976 radio address, Shaping the World for 100 Years to Come, on our Pepperdine SPP YouTube channel. And if you know someone who's thinking about graduate school this fall, we welcome applications at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. That's publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. Welcome back to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt. I'm Seth Liebson. I have long complained about the toxic environment on the modern university campus. Earlier this year, I participated in a hearing at our state legislature raising the alarm about the abuse of conservatives on the campus of ASU. In this case, Charlie Kirk and Dennis Prager. But I admit it, what we've seen these last three weeks on the university campus is on a whole nother level. This is bone chilling, just naked Jew hatred. I turned to Pete Peterson. Dean of Pepperdine School of Public Policy and a regular friend on my program. Can we talk about college campuses and broken souls and broken morals? Mm. Can we talk a little yeah. bit about that with what we've we seen can. over the last two weeks? What the hell, Pete? What the hell? Yeah. These yeah. are not Palestinian um, protests. These are genocide marches I'm watching. Well, and of course, this is timing matters. And for anyone to step out in support of the Palestinian movement in the wake of the atrocities of these last couple of weeks is utterly outrageous. Any sense of human compassion would say, even if you care deeply about this issue, now is not the time. Now is the time for calling evil acts what they are, and now is not the time to be striking fear that, you know, my alma mater, George Washington University. I don't know if you saw what I happened saw, there. Praise the martyrs. Praise the praise martyrs. Of, glory to the martyrs glory gets flashed up on the Gelman Library, yeah. a place where 
frankly, I did not spend a lot of time at GW, <laughs> but, uh, you know, that's just but the largest. But you noticed that walking by, yes, right. You should, yeah. yes. Right. And, and, of course, you know, the fear that is being struck into the hearts of Jewish students, this Jewish students this is at where Cooper administrators Union? need to be. Jew- Jewish yes, students I at did. Cooper Union being told they had to escape through tunnels? In the library. Yeah. I mean, where where does this hate come from? Harvard Harris conducted a poll. Fifty one percent of eighteen to twenty four year old voters. So these aren't just eighteen to twenty four year olds; these are eighteen to twenty four year olds who have taken the action of registering to vote. Fifty one percent of majority answered justified to the question, do you think the Hamas killing of Israeli civilians can be justified even given the grievances of Palestinians? A majority of 18 to 24-year-olds said yes. 38% said what happened was not genocide. What happened here, Pete? The current state of the views of many in academia and in that 18 to 24 age category of Israel is seen through the broader ideological lens that can only be described as simplistic and one in which views the world and human relationships through the the lens of oppressed and oppressor, that you are either one or the other, either as an individual or as a state or as an institution. And this obviously way of looking at the world has been cast on Israel. Now, that's the ideological part. The other part is just straight up anti-Semitism, which has been a scourge on humanity for millennia. But both of these seem to be coming together in such a way that is extremely toxic and disappointing. And at the same time, I fear that as the ground offensive moves forward by IDF forces in Gaza, we're just only at the early stages of anti-Semitism being revealed on a number of college campuses. But it's this mixture of ideology as well as just the, the long-standing evil of anti-Semitism. I agree with everything you said, including the prediction of where public opinion will move. This pattern has happened too many times for it to be different going forward. So I think we're going to all obviously have to steal ourselves for that, too. The anti-Semitism part, I saw someone wrote the other day, if you didn't protest the tens of thousands of Palestinians killed during the civil war in Syria, or if you don't care about the Palestinian oppression in Jordan, and if you don't care about the Palestinian refugees suffering in Lebanon, or about the Palestinians on the border that Egypt refuses to help or give shelter to, or the Palestinians who suffer under the thumbscrews of Hamas and even in the West Bank, and only seem to care about it over the last through that them over the last three weeks. I have news for you: you're not pro-Palestinian; you're anti-Jew. Uh, strong, but hard to conclude otherwise. That I guess what I'm just saying is this, Pete: we knew anti-Semitism existed. I just didn't know it existed this fiercely, and I don't know whether these kids don't know what they're thinking or talking about, or whether they actually believe it. Some of them believe it, maybe all of them. I don't know. I can't get a read on it. I think it's fair to say that there is a general ignorance of the true history of that region. And again, distorted by an ideology that only sees 
people as oppressors or oppressed or victims and oppressors, it becomes impossible to see the true nuance in some instances of history, but also to understand the deep history of that region because it's simply not being taught. When you look at a lot of these protesters and certainly the progressive squad that sides with them, when it comes to their domestic and social policies, there is a country that respects them and a country that would put them in jail or death for holding them, or at least yeah. a movement. Yeah. And they're protesting with the latter, not the for- on behalf of the latter, not the former. Can right. you explain this to me? I think it really does strike to the ignorance of their understanding of that region. Okay. There was a meme, you may have seen a cartoon where a young, what seems to be a college student is dancing or skipping along a field of grass with a what appears to be a, a Hamas terrorist. That's the first picture. The second picture is the young lady's head being chopped off. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, th- this understanding that somehow this these issues in Israel can neatly fit into a progressive political context is utterly false. Right. If, if your issues were about so-called conservative views on family, marriage, role of women, so on and so forth, I mean, to throw in your lot with Hamas terrorists, yeah. this just shows both ignorance and, I think, frankly, hatred. Yeah, that That's, that's to the degree that you really don't believe in some of the things that you say you hold dear is when you're willing to jettison those in moments like this. I love what Douglas Murray said. I don't know if you saw his speech in England. He said, "I did." Yeah, it, beautiful, right? Um, one of the maybe, yeah. maybe when we mark down beautiful speeches someday in the history books, that'll go down as one of them. He said, "Try your luck in Gaza. Try it. Just try it for a day." Coming up, we have all these students, and they go out and they say all of these horrible things: destroy Israel from the river to the sea. That means genocide. Victor Davis Hansen in the final segment of Town Hall Review. Stay with us. Charlie Kirk here. It is critical we keep AM radio in all cars and all trucks. More than 80 million Americans depend on AM radio for news, weather, and opinions. AM is also the backbone of the emergency alert system, keeping you advised of threatening weather conditions and amber alerts. Text AM to number 52886. Tell Congress that we need AM radio in our cars. Again, text AM to the number 52886. Standard message and data rates may apply. Welcome back to the Town Hall Review. Our nation, at least the portion of our nation that's awake, is alarmed at what feels like a tinderbox on the world stage. Hamas attacks Israel. Iran proxies attack us. Hezbollah threatens Israel from the north. And we have two aircraft carrier groups in the region. How did we get here? Here's Victor Davis Hanson. I was waiting for Barack Obama because he didn't say anything. Remember for 72 hours where he calculated all of his prior Mideast right. policy. You know, he was the guy that brought Robert Malley into government as his, quote, Hamas expert. And he was the Ben Rhodes deputy national security advisor. They don't know anything. Echo chamber and the whole Iran deal. And then the whole crackpot Obama theory of these capitals, Tehran. Damascus, Beirut, and by extension, Hezbollah and Hamas, all as a counterweight to the Sunni moderates in Israel, and then we would lead from behind. And it all blew up. Even when he was running for office, remember that video of Rashid 
Khalidi, the professor who had said some things and Obama was introducing him and then they squashed it. The L.A. Times, they didn't want anybody to know because he was in his stealth mode. He didn't really want to tell anybody that he was very anti-Israel and his eight years showed that he is. And then the Obamaites from Susan Rice, Samantha Power, John Kerry, Jake Sullivan, Blinken, they have all reappeared under Biden, but they're even more dangerous because Biden is non compos mentis. So really, this is the third term, and this whole thing is blown up. You know, this thing is surreal because every single day, Gazans pop out of their tunnels, they put their little launcher out, and they shoot these rockets that they've stored, and they're intended to kill nobody other than civilians. And then at the same time they're doing that, and as the Israelis are trying to stop them, and that stopping them means trying to figure out how to kill these killers when they're underneath hospitals, schools, mosques, etc., and they're phoning people and they're dropping leaflets, the Obamaites of the United States are saying, you're disproportionate. This is cruel. This is collective punishment. You're targeting. And you want to say, well, what is Gaza doing? They're trying every single day to kill Jewish civilians in Israel. And nobody says a word. Their whole plan of attack is to kill civilians in Israel and to kill their own civilians by putting them in places where they know they will die. And even their leaders have said that, yes, these civilians will die, but that's a noble sacrifice. And Barack Obama can't see the difference. And none of these people can in these crazy administrations. The irony is just we have all these students and they go out and they say all of these horrible things, destroy Israel from the river to the sea, that means genocide. And so it's just so crazy that these people in the United States can't see this moral asymmetry. And it's and when you have Barack Obama in the equation, he just what he, he puts a toe outside of one of his three mansions and says, I've lost my street cred because I sold out to Netflix and I'm worth a half a billion dollars. He created this mess. Thanks for joining us for Town Hall Review. Victor's podcast is now available at SalemPodcastNetwork.com, as is the Town Hall Review. Let me say thanks once again to our sponsor, the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. I'm Seth Liebson, thanking you for joining us for Town Hall Review.